Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. So as you all know, I just dropped my debut HBO comedy special, I Be Knowing. It is out. You can see it on HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO, all the streaming. If you cannot afford HBO, then figure out a way to see it. That would mean getting a free trial. How do you get a free trial? You put in your email. They send you a free trial for seven days. Or go to someone's house. Or do what I used to do. Go on Twitter and be like, who has HBO? And you find somebody that has HBO and you go watch it. Or you find a way to connect with them. There's ways. There's ways. I'm not telling you to steal HBO because they have free trials. So you can get a free trial. Okay? I want people to be able to see this. I had somebody come in my comments and tell me that they really felt like I should have done more work to get it to make it possible for people to see this special because most black people don't have HBO. First of all, don't ever make egregious statements like that about most black people don't have HBO. You don't know all the black people, so you can't make that assumption. But what I will say is I give a free podcast every week. I get free content every day on Instagram. And yes, my special is behind a paywall. But you know what? So is every other special. It's either on Netflix or it's on Amazon or it's on HBO. So don't try and guilt me into having my special somewhere where you have to pay to see it because that is the reality of doing comedy specials. And one day, I would love for people to be able to see my special for free. But if you want that to happen, send me the sponsorship money. Now, on that note, we have Roy Wood Jr. who just released his special, Nobody Loves You, on Comedy Central. You can check that out as well. Now, Amanda, Comedy Central is free. You still got to pay for cable, boo. You still got to pay for cable, boo. He just released a special on Comedy Central. You can check that out. He's here with me in New York City, and we're going to talk, and we got a lot to talk about. People I like. Yeah. As you all know, when it comes down to people I like, I only have people on the show that I like. That's the rules. And today, we have one of my favorites. Not just as a... P- <laughs> I became a preacher real you quick. Sound like a pip, preacher, <laughs> favorites, not just as a person, but as a, as a professional. As a as a as a comedian, and that's why he's here for this episode. Side of his own comedian. Let's give it up for Mr. Roy Wood Jr. <laughs> why? Thank you, thank you for having me. Congratulations on your special. Appreciate it you. Amazing. Congratulations on your special. It looks amazing. No, your no, special. special. I'm looking I'm at looking the. At the I, I, I was I'm trying. trying. I was trying, I was trying to come to you know, I, I flew in the same, same night, night as your as your special. We no. were taping in Brooklyn, yeah. Yes, you did. Late flights, flight drama. Couldn't get there. I'd have been all up in your in the venue with a bunch of luggage and I didn't want to be that dude. 
Are you, and then you're probably taping during the screening. Correct. Okay, cool. Correct. So all the options are exhausted. And, uh, but the hort is with me. Yes, yes. I love what you do. I always no, have. No, 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 I'm stopping. I'm stopping you because this is about me telling you about how much I love what you do. Okay, sister. I'll be quiet then. Yes. When we discuss Roy Wood Jr. as a contributor to the African-American cultural canon, we must acknowledge his ability to not only humorize, but to create uh, different concepts, not concepts, concepts of thought around topics and things, nouns, if you will, that we never consider, but doing so with the adeptness. It's the Mm. adeptness with which you do. It never feels labored. It never feels like you put much muscle into it. It's It's the effortlessness with which you like inter intersect and interweave and move between like hardcore just com- comedic wit and basic um co- like just basic things that are in our space. So like a perfect example is like Hillary Clinton and a book. I don't ah. I don't see like I'm looking at that and nothing funny comes to mind and Roy is going to take that and turn it into a five minute bit, which is probably (laughs) a 10 minute bit that he was like, nah, that last five ain't as strong as I want it to be. So we just going to do the five until I get the other five to be on a no, on a whole other level. President's the only job you can apply for and I get the job and you get to write a book explaining why you have no job. And then get rich Behind not getting the job. That's it. It's not like second place. You may want the power, but second place ain't that bad. (laughs) Now, considering where we are as a country, it kind of sucks this go round. But generally, if you lose an election, you're still getting paid. You're popping. I'm trying. I'm trying, man. All I'm trying to do is show white America a different way to look at blackness while at the same time confirming what a lot of black people have already felt or thought and haven't had the power or the agency to be able to say. That's it. Like, um, I got into a long argument with somebody um, after my first special when we were talking about how... An argument? Yeah, legit argument Mm. after a show. Oh, shit. And I don't argue. Like, you know my demeanor. Yeah, you're Um, very chill, like, hey, man, you know. You're right. Yeah, you're absolutely (laughs) right. Just whatever it takes for you to get away from me. I have a bit that was born out of a car ride with Roy Wood Jr. in <laughs> Connecticut. Uh, we were performing at the Mohegan Sun. I was opening for Roy. And on the car ride, our Uber driver w- revealed that he was a Trump voter and said to us, man, Trump looks great for his age. And this has become yes. an entire bit that I even <laughs> did on Seth Meyers. But I was like fuming in the back seat, And Roy was like, no, no, let him go. Just let, let him, him talk. Let him talk. Let him talk. There's no saving him. Like, I argue with the ones that I think I can say. It's like, all right, here's where you didn't consider. Because people are trying to tell me that black people are patriotic. And I don't go, all right, that's fine. But you can't 
as a race, I feel like music is the best representation of what a people are going through yeah. at that particular sliver of a decade. Yeah. At no point in any era of black music can you find original patriotic songs. We do we cover like when black people sing about America and the joke was about we sing about specific cities. And so I started listing songs. What we do is talk about cities. And then the guy brings up living in America. And I was I'm, like, Jet's literally the only one. But at the end of the song, he lists cities. It's true. And like that's and that's and that's a, and this guy like, no, you don't understand. But like, how are you gonna tell me what my people feel? Like what? How you are you gonna understand. tell me that they're all patriot? Like, and that's the thing that I just can't engage. And that's one of the side effects of being a comedian is that people try to come up now. People have so much more agency now in this country. To tell you why you're wrong. Just disagree and go home. Well, it's people, okay. People think their opinions are facts. It's like, it's a fact that it's an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. I think that's part of, that's a byproduct of social media though. Mm-hmm. Where everyone has an opinion. Everybody has an opportunity. We used to live in a time where if you weren't to give your opinion in a newspaper, you had to go get a journalism degree first. Yeah. You, I'm sorry. Have you been to college? We do not care about your opinion. Have you done research on this? Have you presented it? Are you an expert in your field? Yeah. No. No. I watched four episodes of Project Runway, though, so let me tell you about fashion. My name is Squirrel Fran, F R A N 86. My Avi is a picture of a coyote wearing high heels, and you going to listen to what the hell I have to say. Yeah, I'm just very indifferent on people who are angry with me or disagree with me. When we did Last Comic Standing back in the day, it was 2010. It was like kind of the early days of live tweeting. And so we had to live tweet per network rule. Oh, wow. We had to interact with the people on Twitter. Terrible. That's a terrible rule. So you follow the hashtag and you see the most horrible things being said about you. And I used and I spent the first two or three episodes <laughs> kind of jaw jacking back and forth with people. And by the fourth episode, I'm like, this is just this is what the internet is. It's just people yelling. So you know what? Yell. I'm gonna find the people that like me and find my fans and keep this shit moving. Well, you can find a fan in me. Well, thank you. Roy Wood Jr. You know, Roy Wood and I, I met Roy because I was walking by a lemonade on uh, in Burbank, California. Yes, right by the Boston Market. Yes. <laughs> Pass in Riverside <laughs> if you want to Google. And I was walking by and I heard, did I say something to you or did you say something to me? It was a double me? take. We both did a double we take at each double. other. We did a double. It was like an actual TV like. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the uh, Black uh, Hollywood. Uh, you, is it, I think there's. It's like two squirrels seeing each other from across the field in the tail. <laughs> and then I came in and we've been buddies ever since. Yeah, your energy has always been dope in everything. Appreciate that you. you. Ditto. So, you know, it's it's interesting. LA is an interesting place in the sense that it's rare that you find people that are driven beyond what LA allows. Like, like mm. you can go to LA and just kick back on having done a few things but like i feel like there's two types of people all right like there's there's a person who the light at the end of the tunnel it it represents your salvation it represents the conclusion of the journey and represents breaking through and then there's people where the light in the tunnel is the train coming to run you over so you sprint madly into the darkness continuing your journey not knowing what's coming next but trusting that your instincts got you that far yeah so you keep running 
And you're one of, to me, you're one of those people where it's just like, no, hustle, hustle. That was cool. Hustle. Next. What else we got? Next. Hustle. Next. Doing that. What y'all want? Dance. Pow. What y'all want? Acting. Pow. <laughs> what y'all want? Live Pow. show. Pow. What you want? Hosting. Pow. He hit me with pow. So it's that's why I feel, that's in my brain. That's why I feel like when you go home <laughs> and you look at your vision board as you check stuff off, you like pow. <laughs> did that. Pow. I like that you're picturing me at home with a vision board because <laughs> you I got definitely... a vision wall. <laughs> you got like a whole wall, and your cat is just posted up beside it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are we doing today? I mean, I really feel like when I started doing comedy. And, or even better yet, when I started doing Smart, Funny, and Black, and I was conceptualizing just the idea of like, how do we expand and open the space of what is considered Black comedy beyond what it has always been limited to? I feel like comics like you are the epitome of that, of being able to be so innately Black, but yet advancing the space beyond like solely physical comedy or solely sexual or solely silly. And I think a lot of times there's a lot of folks who think that if those are not the elements, then it's not really still black comedy. When I first moved to New York and I was, when I first started doing comedy in New York, I would find from, from a lot of black comics, they'd be like, Oh, well, I mean, if you're doing black camera, if you're a black comic, then you do comedy in these rooms. If you're not doing comedy in these rooms, you're not considered a black comic. You're an alt comic. And I was mm-hmm. like, but I'm still black though. And I'm still doing comedy that speaks to the black American experience, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, that's can't, we can't, nah, that can't be yeah, it. But, and that sucks because then you're dealing with black people that are disavowing the evolution and the broadness of what blackness has become. It's almost like make blackness black again. They're almost like a blacker <laughs> type group. Black, 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 black on black. Yeah, and that's all they want. And look, you know what, man? You want to swim in those waters? That's cool. I imagine there's some places you can go and make some money. But if you're really speaking to the evolution of the black experience, there's more money and growth and exposure to be gained. And case in point, if you look at the types of forms of blackness that are represented on television now and in music, it's not all blackity, black, blackest, black, black, black. <laughs> It's it not all Tyler Perry. No, it can't be. It's not all Martin. You know, I mean, I loved what, what was so great about the golden era of the 90s, I felt like, was because it was the last time that we had a lot of different representations all at one time, from Martin to Living Single to Different World, the Cosby Show. New York Undercover. New well, York, yeah, well, New York Undercover. But no, I mean, but still, I mean, even on the dramatic side, yeah. I mean, that was when we had... Uh, homicide, life on the streets, <laughs> the corner. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So even and then even the wire. I mean, there was just a, a an array. The wire was later in the game, but I think there was still just this array that I think is coming back specifically in the comedy space, where you like you said, like we're widening the conversation, even with Insecure, with Atlanta, um, and hopefully some more stuff. Yeah, Grownish. I I love Grownish. Like I am 21. It is fantastic. I'm 40 and I watch Grownish and it's so good. I'm like, am I, should I be enjoying this as a 40 year old man? <laughs> I remember the good old days of college. Like I almost watch it longingly. Right. Like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Look at meal plans. Yeah. I, I just never, I just never bought into being one type of black. Because coming up down south, 
you could be a nigga fired comic if you want, but you only gonna perform somewhere once a month. And if mm-hmm. you're trying to do this for a living out of Alabama, you got to figure out how to make old people, white people, young people, man, black people with the good. Yeah. So. What is it about me that's funny? And that's what I'm going to present to everybody. What do you think Love about you as funny? Um, I think I'm funniest when I'm discussing things that agitate me. Or Really? Yeah. I, like Chappelle talked a long time ago in this Rolling Stone article. Chappelle talked about identifying your joke machine and identifying the things that fuel it. And when you have moments of creative, a creative high tide, kind of document what was going on in your world that week? Who did you talk to? What did you eat? Like just all of those little things. And the one consistent thing I always found is that I was usually agitated about something, but it's usually, I, I was always way too mad about things that were way too just lazy, like just mad about the wrong shit. Yeah. And that was my strength to have political level anger about McDonald's charging 10 cent for a sauce. But to argue that point like it's gun control with the same energy. Yeah. And so that kind of became and that's where I kind of found my strength was like, okay, if I can find an issue that everyone is arguing about, that's A and B. And if I find the C in that argument, then I have a joke that I think is unique and that's a little bit different from what everyone else is doing on those topics. So. That was kind of where I kind of figured out, like, all right, this is how you do it. This is this is what's funny. I'm funniest when I'm hitting these mm-hmm. issues from these angles. And that just became the mission. And then you have that discovery, and then you instantly hate every, every. joke you've ever written up until that day. <laughs> God, I can't watch any of my... Nothing. Can't watch it. Torture. Because it feels like you're watching, like, struggle jokes? Yeah. It, it literally feels like I'm watching another comic. Like, I'm watching, like, the book buyback jokes. And, <laughs> Man, can you believe they charge $400 for a chemistry book for $400, man? Y'all better come do the homework for me. <laughs> and that's the worst part. It used to get laughs. I'm like, oh, my God. I want to apologize to everybody who used to see me perform. <laughs> but, you know, I don't care, man. I didn't done black shows and got stared at. I've done white shows and got stared at. But, you know, I, I've never felt like I left the stage in a, with a black audience and never left with their respect of my opinion or point of view, which is enough for me. You might be used to comedy being delivered a certain type of way. All right, fine. I'm not for you. I'm not for you. Right. And that's all in the game. I don't get mad about it, though. Well, speaking of the game, Roy Wood Jr. did compete in Smart, Funny, and Black here in Los Angeles, here in New York. One of the greatest Smart, Funny, and Blacks of all time. I mean, legit top three. One of the most terribly judged Smart, Funny, and Blacks of all time. I disagree strongly. It came down to the final Blacks donation. Every now and then, I just so you know, I inbox... Uh, <laughs> Brandon Victor Dixon. <laughs> and I let him know. You stole one. <laughs> you stole one like the Rams versus the Saints. You stole one, bro. That's one that I would do a rematch, though. <laughs> like, that was oh, a, yeah, he crushed me. He crushed me in the it, final. He, he, I mean, <laughs> it was neck and neck, though. Like, y'all don't understand. Brandon can sing. So anytime you got a brother up there singing, you're, 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 at, a, you're at a deficit. Yeah. In front of an audience of black women, like you're at a deficit. With and no yet, singing. I held my own. I mean, not even just held your own. You were in the lead. 
In my mind, you were winning <laughs> until we came into the final vaccination. And the question was, you are made the dean of Smart Funny Black Academy and you have to come up with three courses for black folks that are not typically offered. What are the courses? And Brandon's courses just... I just remember one of them was like how to treat a lady or something. Like I had a chivalry, and, and he, but he said it with that deep voice, and that's just cheating. I just think like if you got range, you can't be using all your octaves against somebody that ain't got octaves. That's just cheating. Well, you know what, Amanda? If I was the dean, the first thing I'd do is have you in my office. <laughs> Hamilton. Well, interestingly enough, Roy's uh, special comes out. January 25th. Yes. What is the name of the special? No One Loves You. But We Love You. Yes. Okay. And then the next day, my special comes out on January 26th. And what's the name of that? I Be Knowing. I Be Knowing. And then the next day, Brandon stars as Collins in the Fox Network's live presentation of Rent. Have you been following his rehearsal videos on IG? So fascinating. Really? Oh, he's posting like little snippets of their rehearsals and their walkthroughs. I'm obsessed. If we're talking performance, I'm obsessed with the preparation process. I saw Solange at Essence Fest two years ago. I saw her sound check. Mm-hmm. And since that day, I've been obsessed with how talented people prepare mm. to put on what they do. And That's it's, a show. It's, it's literally the most... That's Brandon, a show. That I need to go pitch. And I'm read by WME if any agents are listening. <laughs> put that together um no but his his ig is fascinating because broadway is something that like i really i'll be honest i probably before i before i met my girlfriend i probably saw like three plays total in my life like i saw book of mormon twice because it was a comedy and i love south park my very good friend michael scott who has also been on the show uh originated book of mormon on broadway gotta meet him yeah. You, you have such a dynamic Rolodex. I just, like, the Thank only you. hookup I got is, like, I can get you free boxing tickets at Madison Square. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have sports connects. Sports. Well, it ain't a game, this comedy thing. No. But I want to take us into our next segment, that one time. That, that one time. time. Now, in this segment, of course, we share our own personal experience with the theme. Of course, this week's theme being side effects of comedy. We both got a plethora of tales to tell. <laughs> uh, what would you say was the time when you realized, I, I, this is really what I'm doing for the rest of my life? Was it like from the beginning or was there a turning point where you were like, this is it. I'm not going to try other shit. Um, I would say from the beginning, I always loved it, but I didn't really think about it as an occupation. Right. Until I graduated from college. Where'd you go to school? Florida A&M. Shots out. You went to Rattles. Pow, pow, pow. <laughs> yeah. I used to come down to Orlando to see what's going on okay. for the classic. I have been drunk on Orange Ave every now and wow. then. Wow. Every now and then. Shout out to Orlando 407, Dr. Phillips High School, DP. I uh, drive. DP. I so, drive. Wow. So I got into comedy. So rewind. 19 years old, I get arrested for stealing credit cards and buying blue jeans <laughs> at Macy's. That was my hustle. Like everybody had a hustle on campus. Some people cut hair, some people s- s- sell weed. 
I was the clothes dude. If you needed clothes, just hit me up. I go, you know, just let me know your size. I swing by the mall and get that for and you. And boosted. So. What was your inflation rate? Oh, uh, 50%. So I would charge you 50% of sticker price. Nice. And for a pair, of, you know, Tommy James is 100. I'm saying you were coming you know, up on yeah. 50 Fifty dollars for nothing. Yeah, that was that was just testing your freedom. And you're, but and you're, that? And you're not, yeah, but you know, you know big deal. <laughs> so I get arrested for it. I think I'm going to prison. And the six months until my sentencing, I started doing stand up to deal with the depression of knowing that I'm going to prison. I get to sentencing, and I get probation, and I keep doing comedy. Um, so they didn't put you on a chain gang. No, they didn't. And you know, this is Florida where you're facing five years mandatory. Ain't no reason, but good God, that I didn't get jail. Really. No clue to this day can't tell you why I didn't go to prison. My mom, who was also a FAMU grad, my father, who was a former. Oh, you a legacy. My father was a former FAMU professor. Oh, you so, a legacy, legacy. So that's. Professor of what? Uh, oh, journalism. My dad was deep off in journalism. My dad was like a, he was a reporter in the civil rights movement. He was on the first black radio station in Chicago, WVON. Like my oh, father, this is explaining everything. If you, any picture you can find of Dr. King, I guarantee you two rows behind him is my father with a recorder and a notepad. If it went down in the 60s and 70s, my daddy was there. Embedded in Vietnam, the whole lot. So, Fascinating. my father was on that struggle shit. My mom was the same way. My mom is 30 years uh, professor at a black college in Birmingham, Miles College. And before that, she was the first black integrating class to Delta State University in Mississippi. So, they, brother. They, so it's some shit starters in my family that's that's definitely been about that life. Yeah. And so that leverage is the only thing that didn't get me expelled from Florida A&M. And God bless them for not doing it because I got back in school. I kept doing comedy and made the dean's list the rest of the way. And then when I graduated, I'd been doing comedy at this point two and a half years in, in, while I was in school. Yeah. Never took an internship. And when I got out with my journalism degree, I couldn't get a fucking job because I... Because you'd never set yourself up to get a job. And never, but I never thought about it. What do you I mean? Never no one ever guided it. you to do that? Yeah, but I, was, I, I got gigs. Mm. I got gigs. And if I go to the Tampa Tribune to proofread the sports page every night, I can't do these gigs. And these gigs are the only thing that I know for sure keep me out of being in a dark place emotionally. And at that point, I was too scared to quit doing comedy because I was more afraid of what my life would be without it. So... I got to keep doing comedy. So when I graduated, I looked at the job, the two job offers I had was the Tampa Tribune and the Birmingham News, and they were both offering twelve to $13,000 for the year. I did the math. I was going to make 17000 as a road comment. And once you deduct, you know, gas, whatever. But that, that was the day. And I was like, all right, this let's, is what I'm out. This is what let's I'm about. see where this keeps going. So I went to Birmingham, lied my way onto the radio, and then I did morning radio. What was the lie? Um, they were auditioning comedians and then they said they weren't auditioning anymore, but I knew that the morning show hosts the black comedy night at the comedy club. So I told the radio station I was hosting the black comedy night and I told the comedy club I just got hired at the radio station and the radio station wants me to host the black comedy night. I host the black comedy night. You got night. two jobs? Yeah, I host a black comedy what night. What type of duplicitous thinking? More, the morning show DJ is at the black comedy night, sees me host and goes, I made a mistake, you're pretty funny, see you Monday morning, bring donuts. And that's how I started at the radio station. It was two weeks after I would Ricky never have thought of that. What you going to do? Catch me and then not book me no more? You already not booking me. True, so there was nothing true. to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was, so that was like, all right, I'm working in radio and radio's flexible enough to let me work the road. 
And that was it. Wash, rinse, repeat till I moved to L.A. Tell people what is a road comic? A road comedian is someone who travels from week to week. R-O-A-D. Yeah. Three to four nights out of the week uh, in a strange town telling jokes for the locals. So wherever you live, if you have a comedy club that's two, three nights a week, the people coming in are road comics. They may go home between gigs, and sometimes if they're far out and they're driving, you sleep in your car, you stay at somebody else's house for two or three days on those off days. Like that Sunday through Wednesday is usually dead, and then you go to the next city. And, and what type that. of bread do you make a night as a road comic? Uh, as an opener, you you can expect to make uh, $200 for the week. A middle act who does 30 minutes, you can make 500 And a headliner on average, a headliner you've never heard of with one or two TV credits is probably going to make $1,200, no travel. Or maybe 1500 for the week, no travel. But you also have to take your gas and travel out of that. So, And your you, hotel, if you if they don't have... Most Ap- middle acts don't get hotels anymore. They used to they used to give hotels to middle acts, but not anymore because they try to book local middle acts. So if you're out of town middle act, it's a no man's land. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult life. That's what I was getting at. And how long were you a road comic? Nine years. Before I moved to Los Angeles, I was nine years. And it was way too long. My advice to any comedian living in the South and Midwest is stay there long enough to be a middle act and make a couple of connects and get the fuck out of wherever you are. Why was it too long? Because you start picking up the habits of youngsters in entertainment. I believe we tend to pick up, we inherit the goals of our predecessors. Mm. So I wanted to get late night because all of the older comics before me got late night. And if you get late night, they give you a show. And once you get a show, you do 200 episodes and yeah. syndication and you live forever. Forever. But what I didn't realize is that it was 2006 and I'm chasing my predecessor's goals. And what I should have been focused on was figuring out YouTube. And what I should have been focused on was what the new media was. And whatever you are, whatever your occupation is, figure out where it's going, not where it is, because that's a false goal. I got Letterman. I did Letterman. And then I looked up. And the only thing it did was take my road money from twelve hundred a week to fifteen hundred. Damn! And it opened me up to a few cities I hadn't done before, but I didn't get the sitcom offer. I didn't get a bunch of scripts sent my way. Now that, and I feel like in the midst of all of that, you're wasting time performing in cities where a lot of people aren't respecting particular types of growth. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. The reason why you have to leave, once you learn the basics of comedy, treat your city as basic training, and then you graduate to a deployment in Los Angeles, New York, maybe Chicago if you're trying to buy time for a couple of years. But you have to get out of where you're from because when you get to a bigger city where there's different ideals and different comedians to influence you as well, you absorb, whether you like it or not, early on as a comic, you're absorbing what's around you. And you see someone rip with material that you think is great because it's making all these people laugh in the small town. When the truth of the matter is that person's been doing that same act for 10 years and they've been touring off of it because they're too lazy to write anything new. Mm -hmm. And you're picking up their bad habits and you have to get out of that. You have to go where the dreamers are. You have to surround yourself. Say it again. Say it again. You have to go where the dreamers are. And more often than not, if you're like me and you're from Birmingham or you're from you're from Chattanooga, or you're from Tupelo, 
there's not as many dreamers. I'm not saying there aren't dreamers in those cities. Of course there are. But you need to be around people 24-7 who are going to hold you accountable to being driven. Yeah. Just by being around people that want more. I was backstage one night, and I was talking with a younger comic, and we were trying to figure out, what we're going to do this, this, and this audition, and that audition. And yeah, man, I heard this festival taking taste. And the headliner walks in the fucking room, hears us talking, and mumbles under his breath, I remember when I used to have dreams. Ooh. And walked out the room. You can't be around that shit week in, week out, while Damn. also eating this trash-ass road food. Right. Staying in trash ass road lodging. Yo, I'm six. I'm six two two forty. I used to be <laughs> six two one seventy five when I started this career, man. The seals. What's wrong? Get Stay it down. off the pizza. <laughs> I'm also a workaholic, and being a workaholic doesn't lend itself to a I proper need exercise us regimen. All to stop being okay with being workaholics. That's what I need us all to stop doing because the literal term aholic means addiction. And too many of us, is that like, what is that? Is that, is our boat taking off? (laughs) (laughs) Our cruise ship is leaving. Too many of us have become very okay with just the idea that as long as I'm not addicted to a substance or addicted to something that seems like it's, off overtly harmful, then it's fine. And people don't think that being addicted to work is overtly harmful. But what is the thing, the problem with that, in my opinion, is that there is a measurable metric by which we can measure addiction to alcohol and cocaine and sugar and tobacco. But there's the same thing for the workaholic. Is it? Yes. If you're using work to avoid facing things that are giving you anxiety if you're using work to as, as a tool of escape, if you're using work as a way to uh, give yourself purpose beyond anything else, it's like that's what it, it's all. They're all devices that are used the same way. I'll give you an example. And it, because I know what makes me happy, or at least I know what I enjoy doing most. And that's creating. Alcoholics love getting drunk. <laughs> so... We were, I was on a hike with my girlfriend in Hawaii and doing a walk or whatever. And for me, this is relaxing. But then I threw a power beats in one ear and I started listening to old sets from three months ago. And I'm walking through some of the most beautiful vistas you can imagine and just listening to jokes. And what about the person who was with you? And so her family found out and there was definitely a conversation about, don't you just unplug and relax? But but no, that's not what that's, that's about. That's about being present with the person that's there. That's not about unplugging and relaxing because people who are cre- people who aren't creatives don't really understand that if you're creative, you're creative all the time. Then how do you turn that off? It's not that you turn it off, but you have to also have consideration for the fact that other people are in your space that aren't in a, involved in that. But then, so like if you're walking, if we're walking somewhere and I just. <laughs> I'm done with you. And I'm like, I'm over here now listening to my sets and taking down notes. I earn you being like, damn, I like, can you be enjoying this space with me? But then you're designating what I should enjoy. 
Are you not? You're or not, is it? You're not designating, but you're just like, you're, you're acknowledging that it wasn't enough. What do you mean? It wasn't enough for you to be just walking with your girl through a beautiful space without making that space about you and your work. But it can't, why can't it be both things? Was it? But that depends on who wants what. That's what I'm was saying. She cool? uh, that's why I asked my first question was, what, how does she feel about it? I don't think she was completely cool with it. I'm just saying. Okay, so then the next walk, <laughs> we just go walk, and then I just don't listen to anything. But if my brain is still open, like five different tabs, and you you literally, you don't know how to shut down those other tabs to focus on the relaxation tab... But that's was the part I present of it. or did I just hide it? But I think that there is something very valid to the work that we do in learning how to shut off the tab to increase the output of what we do. I agree we, with that. That's we... that Chris Rock, go live your life for a while. I don't even, yeah. I mean, it, it's that basic, but also just like living your life for three months versus like for these three hours, let me take in life in a different way. There's something valid in the work that we do and how it applies. Like, I know that when I am in material space, like how you were saying earlier that, like, you find that you get the best material. Excuse me. You get the best material when you're, like, angry. Yeah, agitated or bored. Agitated or bored. And I feel like I get the best material when I am in constant conversation with folks and I'm not thinking about... What's funny? That's when yeah. I like that's when I get the best material. And like I've been doing promo for my special. Yo, I've been coming up with mad bits because I'm just, just talking. Chatting. We're just chatting. And then, you know, the brain is working on its own thing. And I'm not like, okay, pineapple, pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the joke machine running in the background. About pineapples. <laughs> Whenever the joke machine is running in the foreground, I end up writing some shit that I think is <laughs> hilarious. And then I get on stage and they're like, <laughs> no, 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 no. And no, they're no. chewing gum laughter. So, but I just say that. We have become very attuned, especially in our business, with thinking that as long as it's work, it's not inconsiderate. As long as it's work, it's fine. It's It takes precedence. That's absolutely how I feel. And that's wrong. It's... It's, it's wrong. It's, it's not fair. But it's, it's also a situation of, okay, I won't do that. But then if the neural synapses are not connected to it, all I did was just not do it tangibly in front of you. It's like sitting and watch. It's like going to the, it's but like that's going also to a level of c- civility. Okay. But that's, is that connected though? Is that bonding in but that I think, moment? I think maybe it's a start to getting to that. It's like, it's like going to something like if you, it's like if you date somebody who does something you find boring, but you go with them. It's like, you ever see that, that one couple at the comedy club and it's clear one of them did not want to be at this comedy show tonight. But there's and, something for showing up. We all have to do shit that we don't want to do. That's what being a grown up is. I don't want to pay a single bill. I don't want to do it. Like, but I have to do it because I get the benefit of living in this place by paying this bill. So even though it's going to annoy me for this amount of time, the benefit of it is greater. And so that's what it ends up being. And I just think that a lot of times we have to start somewhere to get to a place of truly appreciating like this helps my work too. That's what I'm saying.
there is there is something that is attached to not working that there's something about not being in a quote unquote work space at all times that does actually enhance the work that we do. The problem is that for me at least that all the work gets results. It's like a gambler who keeps winning. Is he an addict? Or is he yes. just is he really is he just really good with flipping money? Like, you know, both. I don't know. But both. And so that's like you'll hit the where... drunk who's like, I don't really get drunk anymore. <laughs> like we all know that person who's like I don't even get drunk anymore and it's like you know but I just think that the workaholic culture especially for men has become this thing that a lot of women are supposed to accept we're like really expected to accept that like well he be working so I can't challenge I can't I can't question that but, but then where do I put and I'm not saying you're wrong I'm saying that I've it's something that I've definitely especially in the past three years since Daily Show have struggled with making sure that I create a balance for but how much of that do you th- how much do you think that that ideology in man is a byproduct of mm-hmm. man provide man go get me it is 100% go get a part the of that. money I have baby but the only thing that Must. shifts that is y'all changing patriarchy is not coming from women it's coming from men deciding mm. that there may be a different way and have using intellect and bravery to challenge that. It literally has nothing to do with us on a surface level. There are women who are supporting it, and that is problematic, who support that, like, well, you know, if you ain't paying my bill, then we ain't doing nothing. And, I, and for the record, I don't have that type of household. I know. It, that's know. not, you know. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like, there's... There's there's norms that have been cemented in place that need to get bulldozed out of here. So then where do I put that light in the tunnel that's going to run me over? You go By to therapy. going and sitting still. <laughs> and if you missed an opportunity to provide that could have been done, if you'd have done this, because you know how comedy is. You, you plant seeds now that you harvest else. eight months from now. What, what, what too many men don't understand is that money is not the only providing that happens when you all are in the house Mm -hmm. your company on the walk is a currency all its own i let a nigga live in my house rent free for a year and a half because he was good in a crisis (laughs) (laughs) you had a live-in ray donovan i did he was a cleaner that man could, like, there was just situations that would go down. And you'd be like, I really don't want to be with this person anymore. But I just came home from Brazil after a 15-hour flight and there is no hot water. And he is finding the solution and found it. And you're like, I, ah, your value is now once again expressed. Yeah. And so. It, and it's, and it's for, and for, what, for what it's worth, it's never been working for the sake of alienation. It's always been for the, working for the sake of providing and making sure that, that my woman is comfortable, that my son is comfortable, and that there is enough seeds being planted now so that later on I can get to kick it. I can go get to take the walk. And it's like, you know you know how it is. When it's high tide, you fish. And right now with my career, it's high tide. So in my brain, someone goes, hey, you need to take three days off. Eh, I'll give you a day and a half. Can we do a day and a half? Can I do that's a you? day? That's, you don't want the day off? I don't want the three. I can't afford to take the three in Why? my brain. In my, because there's other things that are happening that must get you done by this son. thing. You have a son. Take the three days. Stop it. If you... 
This is everything that you're but, saying is just you're deciding that that's not you. But you've made a decision that this works for you. Relaxation in the sense of one and a half versus three. That's where it becomes other people. And I guess this is where maybe this is where the addiction or whatever comes in. But then it feels like people <laughs> taking control and deciding what's best for you. And that's when I get defensive because it's like, hold on. How are you going to assess everything and go, you need four days. I need two. Attic. You're an attic. What? I didn't want to take any days. But then I agreed to the... But maybe t- you they, know what I'm maybe they're right. So, <laughs> maybe they are right. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it depends on who the person I, is saying it, but maybe they are right. I just know that... There is two, there is just a lot of men who, and I'm not saying this is you, but there's just a lot of men no, who, uh, who, uh, who are using work to, um, who are using work to avoid connecting in other ways. And they may not overtly consider it that it may overtly, they may be, they may, they're like, no, I love my family. Like, that's not it. I love my cat. I'm not avoiding <laughs> playing with my cat. Uh, but you have to carve away the time. You know, I, I understand it, it's, it's just, it becomes an assessment. It I mean, a- I was dating a comic, which is an oxymoron because I don't date comics. So this is the one time we're a special bunch. That I allowed this to happen. Every comic has that one time. Their one time. I allowed this to happen. And it could not happen because he has no concept outside of his own workaholic self. And he was like, I, I just, I can't like make time to call you. He can't turn it off. That is a problem. Because you want something that you physically, mentally, emotionally cannot have for a different reason that has anything to do with that person. What he has to recognize, though, is that what he's doing is not helping himself. And so he shouldn't date people that he's not able to give. He shouldn't overpromise. No, that no, 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 you shouldn't date anyone. There's no dating people. You shouldn't date anyone that you're not able to extend an equitable amount of exchange with. But what is equity? And that's and I think that's the the thing. Is it four days or is it two? Equity is if I call you, call me back, nigga. That's equity. Okay. <laughs> okay. But you don't feel like you have to call me back because you're working. And so it doesn't matter no. how many days you're working because I should understand that if you're working that there's no need for you to have any consideration of communication. It's not about the. It's not about the matter of providing. I think. I think my 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 question has always been the amount that is provided when it comes to mutual mutual agreements and equity and meeting each other's emotional needs. And mm-hmm. I think that's where things can get gray if you're not communicating. You know, and so I think that's where. When you talk about being an addict or being a workaholic, it's definitely something that, you know, I've always thought about. And it's not something, and this is the first time in my life since I had my son, where you really have some, like, there's a sense of accountability outside of comedy. Establishing a work-life balance the past three, three and a half years, it's been fucking hard. Because it's never, it's never been something I've ever had to do. 
even with women that I've dated in the past, not to this because level. Because they be like, women are ridiculous with what they allow men to get away with. They're never happy with the shit, but they'll just go along with it because they're so afraid that this person is going to not like them if they make any reasonable demand. This is a fact. I know this because I was with, I was this woman. You're not happy with the situation, but you're like, I don't want to look crazy. I don't want to look needy. I don't want to look extra. I don't want to look that, that, that. So you just go along with it. You're upset the whole time. You're upset the whole time. And so then dudes walk around coming on interviews and they're like, I've been fine with all the women I've dated in the past. None of them had an issue with the fact that I had no time for them unless I decided to have a convenient amount of time for them. I'm just saying... I don't, I'm not you saying you're wrong. You got a baby now. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, you know I spend time with that boy. He be on Instagram every now and then when the block ain't hot. <laughs> I have to pick and choose when I put my son on Instagram. I have to make sure the MAGA warriors ain't mad at me that week. Because, Lord, they be coming for you. I saw him with the fireplace, with the fire station. Yes, Lord. Fire truck. That's his thing. Fire trucks and trains right now. Into it. 100%. Like, it's it's weird because... I still struggle with, I have made the decision to raise him in a world where he can trust people and to teach him how to trust people, even right. though I do not trust people. And that's probably because now him trusting strangers and greeting people with a smile instead of a scowl and a suspicion, mm-hmm. especially as a black man, when people are going to be suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. Does it feel liberating, you think? No, it's stressful. Uh, He seems free. That's what I mean. Is that where it comes from? Like him having a certain sense of freedom? Yeah, but it's a a difficult lesson to teach because I can't relate. What made you want to do that lesson? Because I didn't want him to grow up in a world of thinking that everyone is horrible and that there are only a few good people. I think it's the other way around. And so, you know, that the bigger lessons of responsibility, especially around law enforcement and dealing with white teachers in the classroom and things like that. Those are lessons that we're going to have to be long and very clear about because, you know, he's a boy, you know, and he's at that age. He's terrible too. So it's temper tantrum time. You know what? Go on, get that out your system. But let's see how you start acting a little later because sooner or later right. that tantrum is going to manifest itself in the wrong place and it could roll into something that's unnecessary. So figuring that part out of raising a black man in a new landscape, a more dangerous landscape, mm-hmm. has been very, very interesting. Like every day, that's just a new lesson. You know, I let him speak to police because I just don't want that relationship yeah. But especially black police officers. Hey, you see a black police officer, I scoop him up, go say hello. But eventually you're going to have to have the talk. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But at that point, he's approaching it from a preconceived mo- notion that maybe there's some good ones instead right. of right, right, they're right, all right, right. crazy. Pigs. Yeah. I give the police, you, the police. I give you a better example. When he, when he approaches dogs, I teach him to approach a dog from the rear. You approach a dog from the front, and then you circle around to the rear, and then you try and pet it in the middle of its back. You do not approach a dog straight on with your hand out and try to pet over its mouth on its head. That's how you get your shit bit. So I've never knew that before. That's, that's what I've now learned. all dogs. Wow. Even though only some dogs will be the one to gnaw your hand off. Okay. 
treat all dogs with this same approach so mm-hmm. that when you step to the ones that'll bite your hand off, you at least already, you're in a better position. Yeah. yeah. So it's little things like that that I have to start figuring out. And that's the stuff you have to take a break from periodically from being up at two in the morning. So you get up at 6 a.m. and watch, I don't know, Old cartoons. Sets. And, no, when I'm with them, I'm with them. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, what you have just witnessed is why you don't effects. of why you don't have dinner parties of with comics. <laughs> People think that having a dinner party with comics is going to be hilarious. It's going to be a dark <laughs> road, windy and shaded yeah. into intensity and introspection. This is real spit and this is why I fucks with you. The last dose. Roy Wood Jr.'s special. No one loves... Damn. Now it takes on a whole... <laughs> Nobody loves you. Damn. Now you get it. That just took on a whole new meaning. Is airing on Comedy Central on <laughs> January 25th. And... Um, you know, this this episode, I'm so glad that we were able to do this episode. I've been wanting to do this episode and I wanted to do it with the right person. I'm really happy that we were able to do it together because I really am a huge Roy Wood Jr. fan. But I'm also, I'm a huge comedy fan and I really believe in the power of comedy as a tool for change and as a tool for healing. And a lot of comedians may not feel that way. They're just like, I'm just telling jokes. But it doesn't change the reality of it as those things. And I feel like the work that you do and I consciously choose to do, it serves that purpose in that vein. Thank you. And I want to see comedy continue to grow um, and continue to break into different spaces. You know, I think that there's definitely something to be said for people who call folks that do one minute videos on Instagram comedians. (laughs) I think that we need to get like, very sharp between what makes a comedian and what makes what makes a stand up comedian. Uh, just like we have to get sharp between yeah. what's what makes a stand up special and what makes a one a one man a one person show. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, everybody out there, go to your local comedy club, go support comics. You know, just really understand that comedy is an art form that honestly is one of the most pure. Yep art forms that continues to exist and when we support that and we continue to get behind folks whose voices we love we continue to further the meritocracy of the basic fact that it ain't about nothing else other than are you funny period (laughs) stupid Well, that took a turn. (laughs) But that's what it is with comics, yo. We'll start out all jovial, funny, funny, and then it's like, life descendant. That's the name of my next video game. I want to thank Roy for sitting down and talking to us and getting real, not just about his comedy, but also about how his comedy plays a real role in his personal life. Because that is absolutely something that I think a lot of us didn't foresee or didn't think that we were going to get to. And I'm really glad that we got to get to that because it's real. Comics, we are so, like, 
on in terms of just the way our mind is working. And it's not that we're necessarily trying to be performing all the time, but our brains are wired to be always considering if something is funny to bring to the people. That's why we write jokes on napkins. That's why we keep a long, like forever long Google Doc of joke ideas and premises. And that's why we keep paper and pen by the bed so that when you wake up in the middle of the night and the joke hits you, you don't lie to yourself and think, I'll remember it. Write that shit down. You will absolutely forget it. And uh, Roy is one of my favorite comedians because he just really finds a way every way with anything that's funny. Now, this topic is really near and dear to me. And because my special just came out, I felt like it was only right that we continue the topic and get into your questions about what it is to be a comedian. So we'll see you next week with part two of Side Effects of a Comedian. In the meantime, in between time, watch some specials, get a free trial. <laughs> 